I'm actually going to speak first tonight, and um, the one thing I didn't do at 10.30 this morning was tell everybody it was Trinity Sunday. I'm sorry about that. Um, we did at 8.30. We did at 8.30. I even put a gospel reading in to make it Trinity Sunday. So it's fun, but um, there we go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. Lord Jesus, thank you that the foundation of our faith and what we believe is just so secure in you. In who you are, in what you've done, in what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. No matter what around us, we have that security. Lord, thank you that your spirit speaks to us and points us to you. Holy Spirit, I pray now you would come, open the word of scripture to us. Lord, would you stir our minds and our thinking? Will you stir our hearts and our emotions? Do you stir our spirits, Lord, to discern that truth? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Father. Amen. We once did an Alpha course. I think this might be the first time I ever did it. You'll see what's coming. But somebody on the Alpha course said, I can't keep up. You keep using Jesus and Holy Spirit and God and Father interchangeably. And I went, yes. They'd got it without getting it. Now, that person in the end didn't get it, but they'd got it. So, there we go. I'm actually going to take three or four sets of scriptures. I'm going to have a delve into them. But the reason I've gone here is a word, a prophetic word, that dropped into my inbox from James Goll. Not personally for me, but a general one. I think I sent it round to some, some of the leadership. If you didn't get it, don't panic. It's nothing personal. Uh, and it was one of those words where you, you just go, oh, I think that might be for me. I was actually, I've told some of you this, I was on a, a webinar with James Goll three or four weeks ago about um, writing a book and actually, an hour and ten minutes of the webinar was a complete waste of time. Because they'd actually, how do you get started writing a book? You know, how do you publish a book? How do you know what your message is before you... We were all right with all of that. I wanted the, what do you do when you get stuck in the middle? And it's all just a bit of a... They did a little bit on that. But then he had a prophetic word at the end. Where he saw notice sheets. He called them bulletin sheets. And when he was a kid, he used to turn them into paper aeroplanes, sitting in the pews in his church in Tennessee. And he liked throwing them and seeing if he could hit the elders on the back of the head uh, with them, which has, says a lot that he's now a prophet. But anyway, um, and he said, because he was giggling. He was giggling while he was giving this. You know, he's, what is he, 75 or something? You know, and he's just sitting there giggling. And he just said, I can see, actually, each one's an invitation. And it's invitation and he, to you. And he, and he said they've got personal messages on them. He said, I can't see them all because they're yours. 
And he said, he went through five or six different things that were on these and then suddenly went, and one of them just says, Raw, you know you're a lion, Raw. And I went, I'll grab him on here. <laughs> That's not been a complete waste of time. So when this word dropped, I just thought, this is good. And Chris's response to James's word was, your response to his word. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> essentially it was, it was what Chris had preached two Sundays ago now. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're going to do. But we're going to start in Isaiah. And then we're going to go on in Isaiah. And then we'll probably finish in Isaiah as well. Isaiah 43. Isaiah's in the middle of your Bible, and if you're in Psalms, go right, and if you're in Jeremiah, go left, okay? Basically, second longest book in the Bible, after Jeremiah. I was going to use a couple of verses, and then I thought, well, I need a couple of these verses to put it in context, or I need a couple of these, and you got 13 in the end, but there you go. Now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O people of God, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. We're starting here because this, this is the place we start. This is our security. Yeah. Now, for Isaiah, it wasn't the place he started. It was the place he was looking to. It was forward. But this has been fulfilled in, because asking a question, the answer is, Jesus has been fulfilled in Christ. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, and you are mine. Just take that in. I have summoned you by name. Some of you heard the story before, a number of times. When our eldest was being born, the, the Lord had all had said to us what his name should be. Yeah? Because we were having an argument. That may sound to be a surprise to you, but we were... Because Wendy wanted to call him Michael James, and I wanted to call him James Michael. And we were having an argument about this. And fortunately, the Lord spoke to my wife. <laughs> and she just turned to me in a worship session at one point, just, to, his name is James. This is before he was born. So when he was taking about three weeks to arrive, and when he had had every bit of, um, don't listen to this bit, when he had had every bit of pain relief you could possibly imagine, the midwife came and said, what are you having? Now, we'd chosen names. We were a bit struggling for female names, but we'd chosen the boys' names. But we'd not had the tests to know, because it's so long ago the test was dangerous and could cause problems. And um, Wendy just said, it's a boy. Oh, okay. And then the midwife, I don't know if she was a Christian or not, but it's one of those things you wonder, what's his name? And then she went round to the business end and called James out, at which point he started to move. It still took a while and a great deal of effort, but on Wendy's part, not mine. I just hadn't watched. Um, but he was called by name. That sort of brings this verse into like, whoa, it's a sharp relief for us. 
I've summoned you by name, your mind. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. How safe is that? How utterly safe is that? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Actually, he gave more than the mighty nations. What did he give? He gave his only son. For you. Since you are precious and honored in my sight. Do you feel that? Do you feel pressured? Do you feel honored? Normally we feel pressured and insignificant rather than precious and honored. And because I love you. I will give men in exchange for you. Actually, it took one. I will give people in exchange for your life. Actually, it only took one. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. What's he basically saying? I'll go everywhere. A bit more conventional in his east and west and north and south this time than the Chris took us on that. He didn't have them in this order, did he, in, the, in your last one? I'm going to bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name. We're holding on to that for James. He was called by name, so we're holding on. whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind and have ears but are deaf. That's a call on me. And it's really a call to the church, I think. They see, but they don't see. They have eyes, but they don't see. The people who are outside who don't know anything about it and all the rest of it are blind. It's like they don't have eyes. It's people in church who have eyes but don't see. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witness to prove they were right so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. You may know. That word is about experiencing. It's that. We've done the Greek before. And this is the gnosko, sorry, it's the oida word, not the gnosko word. It's, the, it's knowing as in experiencing. And believe, the faith word. And understand, there's the... Gnosko, there's the knowledge word. So you can experience and so have faith and therefore understand. Hmm. Why do we as a church force people to understand so that they might believe and therefore experience? When scripture says, be still and know I am God. Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. The Bible says, experience God. Oh, now you believe, we can help you understand. We put up barriers of understanding. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be any after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. Now, there's a popular theology at the moment. I have revealed and saved and, and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? I'm not going to push this, but that word act is closely related in the Hebrew to the word speak. Because God normally acts through speaking. Well, are you sure about that? Yes, just have a look at Genesis. How, did the, how was creation done? He spoke. What is Jesus called? The Word. Now, I don't want to push it too hard there, but it's related. I can't say it's an alternative translation. But when I act, who can reverse it? This is our, start, our starting point. Our starting point. Do, does this encourage you? This is great, isn't it? So actually, wow. If God has spoken into my life, if God has acted in my life, who can reverse it? I have nothing to fear because I'm redeemed. I'm called by name. And I will pass through all the rubbish the world has to throw at me. And even worse, the rubbish the church has to throw at me. And I'll be okay. It might not be comfortable. It might not be pleasant. You might not enjoy it. But I'll be okay. Hmm. This is where we start. The word from James Gold says this. I, I'm not going to go through it in detail. We're not ready yet. Let's stop, let's stop the one. Stop it before. Don't, look, don't read that. Don't read that yet. There we go. That's not James Gold. James Gold is still alive. John Lake died a long time ago. We'll come back to him in a minute. So I can, you, for those of you who thought I've got eyes in the back of my head at that point, there's a screen over there, which means I can see what's up there behind me. James's word is about going into a place where we, we're emerging out of a door and we have several doors which we need to go through, or one of which we need to go through. And it's really important. And the call is to come through the door that we're emerging from and close it behind us before we know which door we're going through off the corridor. That's fun, isn't it? You've got to leave the thing behind before you know where you're going. And actually, the thing that James points out in this is 
you haven't just got to leave and come through the door and leave it. We'll just leave that open behind us. We're, no, 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 we're not going to go back through it until we sneak back through it because it's safer through there. It's back to the place we know. It's back to what we've been till we go back there. I mean, it's thoroughly biblical. What did they say to Moses in the wilderness? Can we not go back to Egypt, please? We were far better off. In, in the, no, you weren't. You were slaves. You're free people being fed miraculously day by day with manna and quail, being led by an amazing... Uh, and you want to go back to slavery. Oh, yeah, but he hasn't, he hasn't delivered what he promised. No, he is delivering what the Lord has promised. Well, it shouldn't take this long. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> you do realize they weren't supposed to be in the wilderness, don't you? You do realize it wasn't supposed to take them a generation. It should have taken them about a month to go from Egypt to Canaan. But it took them a generation because they were hard-hearted. And only Joshua and Caleb got there. We've got to shut the door behind us before we even think about what the new door is. So what do we have to shut the door on? We can't move to the new place until we shut the door. I think coming out of the beacon is us shutting a door. And this isn't the new place. This is a stepping stone to the new place. When? Exactly how? I don't know. We've got a vision and the Lord has spoken. If the Lord has spoken, who can reverse it? At the moment, the planners? They're not reversing it. They're just holding it up. It's the 40 years. In the Please, Lord, not 40 years. In the world. But it's... Come on. And the people that have left us are those that are going, we'd rather be slaves. I'm not saying where they've gone is to be slaves, but you know what I mean. They're, they're saying, I want to go back to where I was. I want something safer. I want something slicker. I promise you, church here will never be slick. Because I'm in charge. <laughs> you all get slick on me, I will probably just trip over or do something stupid at the front. So that's fine. But it's, you know. And I've had conversations with a couple of people who've not have left us, but have left other churches and gone to the church at the moment that is sucking people in. I'm not going to tell you who it is. If you know, that's fine. And they say, oh, but everything's just so beautifully run. Everything moves so smoothly. And it's just so attractive. Yeah. I want to see the radical power of God. And that's attractive. Doesn't matter how well organized you are, let's see the radical power of God. So, what do we have to cut? I wish Di was here because I would have got her to share. Di's had to cut relationships because they've been holding her back. Now, I'm going to challenge you, the guys at the 8 30. Jackie, take this on and talk to people if you want. I think a lot of people are still at the 8.30 because they think they need to be there to support other people. And I think if all the people that thought they had to support each other actually stopped and thought about it, they'd all come to the 10.30. Because the whole point of us moving here, the whole point of there being is unity. So Jackie, you weren't here at 10.30. I'm going to own up to this. 
I actually said to everybody, I was so sad at how many people were at the 8.30. I don't think you'll ever hear a vicar saying, I was disappointed the numbers were so high. Now, I love the guys, and I'm not going to not do what we were doing. But actually, most of them could have been here at the 10.30. Because that's, that's the point. Those of us from the beacon have given up, shut the door, and moved on to something for the sake of unity. What do we need to leave behind? People is often what we have to leave behind. Jake, Josh, not Jacob, Joshua and Caleb had to leave the whole generation behind. Can you imagine Joshua leaving, jo uh, leaving Moses behind? It must have been horrible for him. You know, can you imagine being in a situation where you're now called to lead God's people, you know, and the person that you've been relying on is about to leave, move to chef, anyway, moving them. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Didn't mean that, but you know what I mean? We, I look back over, I've been ordained 25 years this month. How did that happen? 25 years, but anyway. And I look back at people and you go, I've had to leave so many people. And not wanting to. And knowing that I can't fix that person, I can't fix that person, and I really can't fix that person because I'm moving. We're not here to fix each other. We're here to help, we're here to encourage, and all that sort of stuff, but we're not here to fix other people. What have I put down here? Beacon Church, I've done that. So sometimes we have to leave behind a particular place, particular tile, ties, a particular style of doing church, particularly particular ministries. Yeah. I've done junior church for 31 years. I think it might be time to leave it then. Because if you're doing it for 31 years, you're probably still doing it like you did it at least 20 years ago, which probably is not what is required. Anyway, but we, we have moments. Oh, that's all right. What always happens in... We have moments. <laughs> Beautifully done. What do I enjoy doing? I, I love leading worship. But it's not my season for that. When I don't have to. It's really weird. All I can see is the bun on the top of his head, which is a bit odd. <laughs> oh. We have to leave ministries behind. We have to leave activities behind. I don't know what the Lord's calling to you to shut the door on. To let go of. Chris did, we did, sort of did some of this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. But we're trying to do it right as a body. How do we discern that? Now, I know a couple of you think this quote is a bit strong. Johnny, now, now. This is John G. Lake. Known as Dr. John G. Lake, but he's not a doctor. But so many people got healed under this man's ministry that he ended up being called doctor, even though he never qualified as a doctor. He started the healing rooms in Spokane in Washington. But that's after he'd been to South Africa and um, basically led a revival in South Africa. 
for a number of years. When a Christian tries to live by reason, now I want to add by reason alone, but he's trying to speak, he's speaking around the turn of the century and into the early part of the 20th century when the scientific method was everything. Still sort of is. But it was that, that move away from faith because of this way of thinking. Please, I'm not saying rational thought is not a good idea. When a Christian tries to live by reason, he, and you can tell, you know, he is moving out of God's country into the enemy's land. We belong in the miraculous and the spiritual realm. Supernatural realm. Spiritual realm. Our home state is to be supernatural. If you don't agree with that, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> Sorry, because you're going to be supernatural. We're still going to have physical form, but it's... Read, try and read 1 Corinthians 15 at some point. The risen body is a supernatural body, is a spiritual body, which is incorruptible. Take a look around you. There is nobody here with an incorruptible body. Or just look in the mirror if you want. <laughs> Put that on anybody else. And what John Lake is trying to say here is when we rely... I, Paul, I think it was Paul said this to me earlier. He just said, well, this is John Lake being stronger with the lean not on your own understanding thing. And it is. It's absolutely right. John Lake's saying when a Christian person rationalizes to the point that they're not listening to God, they're not being supernatural, they're not thinking, you know, they're, they're only going right, by all things it should be this. They're in the enemy's territory. Whether that's finances, whether it's starting a family, whether it's should I go out with this person, whether it's whatever it is. Well, I've got a list and all my things say, no, what is the Lord saying? The Lord might be saying the exact opposite of what it rationally appears to be the right thing to do. Scary, but true. Doesn't make sense. I challenged somebody this week. I won't go into the detail. It doesn't matter. I said, here's an opportunity. And they went, well, it doesn't make sense. And I said, no, it doesn't. I didn't want to ask you because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. On any level. But I know I've got to ask you. Bless them, they took it away and they're going to pray into it. It's absolutely fine. But sometimes, you know, leaving a job doesn't make sense. Moving to Sheffield doesn't make sense until you look at the last three years' prayer appointments, as Chris has been saying. Whatever it is, it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. What is God saying? Isaiah 22. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He'll be a seat of honor for the house of his father. The context here, if, I mean, we haven't got time, but the context in chapter 22 is a prophecy against Jerusalem. 
It's a place of judgment. Verse 11 is interesting if you've got your Bible open in front of you. Hang on. No, verse 13, sorry. Verse 13. When I read verse 11, it didn't say what I was expecting. Verse 13. Starting 12. The Lord the Almighty called you on that day to weep and to wail, to tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. But see, there's joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That attitude that says, let's enjoy ourselves because tomorrow we die rather than what is the Lord saying to us. This is the judgment into which he says, I will call Eliakim. The name Eliakim means God rises. God rises or God will establish. Let me take you back to what we said earlier. If the Lord has spoken, the Lord has acted, who can undo it? Who can reverse it? God will establish. Eliakim is the one who, will, who his name means God will establish. And he's going to be put, given a robe, a sash, which speak of authority. He's going to be given a key, verse 22, to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. If you're a key holder... You have authority. Either that or you haven't handed the key into Ruth and she'll be at you later. <laughs> One or the other. And there's a throne of honor. He will be a seat, a throne of honor for the house of his father. Does this imagery sound familiar? He's been given a key, what he shut, what he opens, no one can shut what he shuts. Actually, it's not shut, is it? What do you do with a key? You don't shut the door, you lock it. Matthew 16. I tell you, you are Peter, the rock. Or it could be Eliakim. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the key of the kingdom of heaven, the house of David. Whatever, which of course means whatever, you bind on earth, lock. Will be bound, locked in heaven. Whatever you loose, lock on earth will be locked, will be unlocked. You know. <laughs> I just I went round in a circle there, didn't I? What you lock will be locked, will have been locked. What you unlock will have been unlocked. Here's here's the back. Isaiah here is the back of this. So here are the doors. Here are the doors. So who's Eliakim under the new covenant? Bigger. Oh, sorry. Bigger than Jesus. Hang on, no. That's probably not the right response. Who has authority to bind and loose? We do. So who's Eliakim? Who, through whom, will God establish? The church. Is that good? 
if we're listening and we're being obedient, what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Better translation. You haven't been here for all the translations. You'll get it about week five of living in freedom. Because the Greek there actually doesn't mean we'll, we'll be bound. doesn't mean we do it first. It says The Greek actually says we will have been bound. So what we bind will have already been bound. Which is quite handy because we're catching up with God rather than God catching up with us, which is, I always find is a helpful way around of doing it. I can't make God do stuff, but I do what God does after he's done it. That's helpful. That works then. James Gold goes on and says, some of you are stewarding great promises. You're stewarding promises of a new season, of a great harvest, of new disciples, of healing, of breakthrough. And the problem is, we want to know what's behind the new door before we close the old. I've got to know. We have a word for that. We have two words for it. The nice word is control. The not so nice word is rebellion. God's saying lock the door. Oh, but I need to know what's through that. So you end up not doing what God's telling you to do, which is sin. And it's rebellion. If Abraham knew what was coming, would he have left Ur of the Chaldeans? Would he have left his father's house and gone? All that stuff with you know, his wife, and would he have gone? Probably not. I, I love Abraham because he heard the voice of the Lord and did it. And of course, once he heard the voice of the Lord, he chest, checked it against scripture, didn't he? Oh no, there wasn't any written down at that point. He just heard the voice of the Lord and did it and wasn't it amazing but if he'd known what was coming would he have gone if Moses had known what was coming would he have done it would he have gone knowing they were going to be in the wilderness knowing it might lead him to murder and knowing that it you know knowing that the people of Korah and the rebellion against him know he's going to lead this awkward bunch of people would he have done it would the disciples have left home if they'd known Jesus was going to die? Would anybody who's been obedient in Scripture have done it if they'd known what was coming? So why the hell, and I use that word advisedly, why the hell do we need to know what's coming next to leave when every example in the Bible tells us the opposite? I'm going to push, push a little thought here. Don't, don't hang me out to dry on this one. Did Jesus actually know that the cross was coming in the way it was coming when he left his father's side and in the incarnation? Because it says he grew in faith. It says he grew in knowledge. I reckon by the time he got to Gethsemane, he was fully aware. Because that's when he went, uh, Dad, um, any chance? But he's still asking to do it a different way. So I'm wondering whether he really knew. But he was omniscient. Yes, but he emptied himself of his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. He emptied himself of his glory, of all those... doesn't stop him being God. He emptied himself. 
That's the canotic thing. Even G I, I would don't let's say don't hang me out to dry on this one, but I would suggest even Jesus didn't quite know what was going to happen when he said yes to hell. Incarnations for me. <laughs> he clearly did know at various points because he points to it at the Last Supper, and he, you know, he, the, the, but he grows in understanding. We listen to his voice, and we take one step at a time. And don't panic. Isaiah 30, 30. Verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So hearing the voice behind you is quite important, isn't it? That's why we teach about hearing God's voice. Then the next verse. I was only going to use that verse. And then I read the next verse and went, oh, hello. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images overlaid with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. You know these things, the doors we have to close, if we hold on to them, they can become our idols. Ministry can become an idol. Family can become an idol. Academic, we did it all this morning. I started to write the thing we did this morning with Evelyn on the chair and all the rest of it was going to be this part of the sermon. And as I was doing it, I went, oh, that's a good spot. Oh, let's do that then. <laughs> Holding on to the idols of life. You've got to, but it doesn't say put them down. What does it say? Don't look at me. What does it say? What have you got to do to your idols? Throw them away? Desecrate them. That's, that's, Strong language. Desecrate them. Make them unholy. Which is why he uses the menstrual cloth thing, because culturally back then and all the rest of it, the uncleanness. Make the thing that you're leaving behind so anathema to you that you will never go back to it. Desecrate your idols. The problem we've got is, one, we won't desecrate our idols and come out the door and shut it and lock it. Two, there's now several doors in front of us. And it's confusing. So often we are told, we are given advice, that we don't, don't make choices in difficult times. If you're facing trauma or transition or trouble or lockdown or don't make decisions. If every virtually every biblical character didn't make a decision during trauma, they would never make a decision. Because it's normally the tra trauma or the trouble or the transition that provokes the need for a choice and a decision. So I'm sorry, the worldly wisdom is wrong. 
We need to reach out to God. We need to lean into the Lord. School of the prophetic stuff. We need to rest our head on his chest. Remember John lays his head on Jesus' chest? As they recline at dinner. You are his beloved. And you can hear the heartbeat of heaven. That's what John would have heard. He would have heard Jesus breathing. He would have heard the heartbeat of heaven. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. And then when you've asked him, ask him again. The father will never be frustrated with you. You know how we get frustrated with our kids? No. Yes. No, we, you will. You will. Because it happens. Because they're frustrating little watsits. And they're frustrating quite big watsits as well. The father never gets frustrated with us. His love is perfect. His love is completely unconditional. Ask him. He'll always lead you to a specific door. And, you, and this will always be written on the door. I'm about to tell you. It's not in the scripture. There's, there will be one word always written on the door. There may be other stuff for you, because you need to know other stuff, but there will always be one word. The door will always have the word hope written on it. He will always take you through the doorway of hope. Whatever that means. It will always be the doorway of hope. It will never be a bad place. So as we come into worship, what doors do you need to close? We're still in that place at the moment. What doors do you need to close? I think all of us in the room, we all need to close some doors somewhere. And we're doing it, but we need to keep doing it. What doors do we need to close firmly, locked, and not to be reopened? Can you bring yourself to desecrate those things that might be your idols? And then embrace the call of hope. Because hope will always bring fruitfulness. Hope will always bring abundance. Hope will always call us to sacrifice. <laughs> hope means we will walk with Jesus it will be worth it